I want to continue to talk this morning on the laws of the harvest, and we're getting through it one slowly because we keep getting various interruptions in our weeks, but this is the third law of the harvest that I want to speak on today, and um, this is the law of increase. Now, we said all along that the laws that God puts in place are always, without exception, for our benefit. There is not one thing that God asks of us that hurts us. There's not one thing that God puts as a requirement upon us or a command upon us that is not for our own good. That's because he loves us so much that he wants all things to work for our good, for those that love him. So when he gives us the laws of harvest, first of all, he also abides by them. He is subject to them because he chooses to be. And he wants us also to understand that as we choose, even though that our choice will not make these laws invalid, (laughs) there's nothing I can do to invalidate the laws of God, but I can choose not to obey them. I can choose to go against them. But if I do that, it's for my detriment, not for my good. So it's for my benefit that I choose to obey the laws of the harvest. And so today we're going to talk. We're going to, just as in a review, we've, we've talked to the three or the four before, the four eyes of the laws of the investment or laws of the harvest. Number one is a law of investment. And that says only, you only reap if, say it with me, you only reap if you sow. Okay? The second law says the law of identity. And that says you reap what you sow. Today's law we're going to talk about is a law of increase that says you reap more than you sow. And the fourth law that we'll talk about next week is the law of interval that says you sow and then be patient because God's timing is always perfect. Let's go back to the farmer that we talked about, the farmer example, that how we can see these laws in action. Uh, A farmer has a kernel of corn. And before that kernel of corn can turn into a harvest, he has to plant it. So the first thing he has to do is put it in the ground, right? So he's got to plant. If he doesn't plant the corn, the kernel, they will, he will have no crop. And the other second law that goes along with that is that as he, if, as he plants the kernel of corn, he can expect to get corn as a result. He's not going to get carrots. You don't plant kernels of corn and get carrots or green beans. If you plant corn, you get corn. And then the law of increase says that as he plants that one kernel, it will return to him in an increase. It wouldn't make sense, would it, to plant one kernel and get one kernel back? It doesn't make sense for him to do that. So that's the laws of the harvest as they apply to a farmer. Now we read a story, and I want to read it again today because this makes sense. Um, This is the story of a man that was crossing a desert, and he was very, very thirsty, right? Now let's just read this. A thirsty man crossing the desert stumbled upon a well with an old-fashioned hand-operated pump. Hanging on the pump handle was a small jar of water with a crude sign. 
Pour this water into the pump, and it will give you all the water you need. Then leave the jar full of water so that the next traveler can prime the pump. The man was so thirsty that he was tempted to gulp down the water and ignore the sign. Finally, he decided to pour the water into the pump handle. Sure enough, after a few minutes, the water expanded the seal in the pump handle, and he began to pump up an ample supply of clear, cold water. He went away with his thirst quenched, his canteen filled, and the jar also filled ready for the next traveler. So there's a little parable, a little story of what it means to sow and reap. So if we apply the, the principles of God's harvest laws to this, the first law says that the law of investment says the man has to do something with the note and the water and the pump if he is to survive because he is dying of thirst, right? So the, the law says, the investment says, he's got an instruction and now he has to invest. He has to take the risk of pouring that good, clear water down this dry, empty well, hoping, trusting that it's going to bring back an increase of water, all right? So the first law says he must do something with the note and the water and the pump. The second law says the man needs water, so by pouring the water into the pump, he is expecting to get water in return, not sand or dirt. That if he's going to pour the water into the pump, that he's expecting to get water not something else, not oil. As valuable as oil would be, at the moment, he needs water. So oil could be very expensive and could have great value, but if he drank the oil, what would it do to him? It would kill him. So here you got something of great value, but it's not the need that he has. He needs just water. He needs the basics of life. He needs water. So he's going to, the law of identity says, you pour in water, you're going to get water out, okay? The law of increase says that according to the note, there's more water to be gained by obeying what the note says. So he's expecting to get much more water by pouring this little bit of water into the pump. He needs more than that, what that little cup can provide for him anyways. He's tempted just to drink, the, just to gulp it down because he's so thirsty He's attempted to go for the immediate satisfaction of, I just got to quench my thirst. And the risk is, if I pour it down the well, what happens if it doesn't work? Now I've just wasted my water. So there's a valuable amount there. There's a valuable value given to that water that he's going to invest. And so the law of increase says that I'm going to trust it. And I'm going to go for the increase. Now, all the laws of the harvest in this particular example require his obedient action of pouring the water into the pump so that it would properly prime the pump and then yield a reward of as much water as he could use now and for his future and for those that follow him. So the two, the two key words are obedient and action. You must, be, you must have obedience and you must have action. If you are going to have an increase, if you're going to work in the laws of the harvest, you must obey and you must put action to your words. Obedient action. If they work together, they come together. And it's sad to say that many people live their life in a fashion that most of us 
according to this person, Fred Allen, says most of us spend the first six days of each week sowing wild oats. Then we go to church on Sunday and pray for a crop failure. You get it? We live the life we want to live all week long, and then we go to church saying, oh, Lord, don't let me reap what I've sown all week long. Isn't that sad? That the increase there is going to work no matter what you plant. It's going to increase. It only makes sense that we would want to invest ourselves into things that will give us an abundance of blessings versus an abundance of curses. The principle of increase says that what we sow will be returned in a much larger yield than what was sown or what was invested. Make sense? The law of increase says that what we sow, the little bit that we sow, will be returned to us in abundance. Good or bad. We're going to sow in like kind. We're going to reap in like kind. So sowing leads to increase. Sowing leads to increase. It wouldn't make any sense if it didn't. God's law of increase gives us assurance that we will reap much more than we sow. It wouldn't make any sense to invest or sow a single seed or a single cup of water in, the, in our example of the weary traveler and only get a cup of water in return or a single seed in return. Why waste the time? Why waste it? The law of increase says God will give us more. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. It says, Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So even in God's promises, even in God's laws of the harvest, he honors the power, listen to this, very important. God honors the power of human choice in his laws. Even though God is all-powerful, God can do all things on his own, he doesn't need you and me, he still honors my power of choice and your power of choice. And God's constantly looking at the heart more than he's looking at the amount. He's looking at why I'm doing what I'm doing more than the quantity of what I'm doing. The man who chooses to sow generously with a cheerful and a willing heart, not under compulsion or, or under, under, under um, duress, he will reap generously. It's the man that lives his life willingly for the Lord is the man that will reap eternal blessings because his heart is there. Luke chapter 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Basically, this is a measure of your attitude. This is a measure of your gratitude. This is a measure of how willing are you to give. And you give with a heart of joy. You give with a heart of generosity. You give with a heart of love for the Lord. And he will take that and he will press it down. And he will shake it up. And he will pour it back into your lap more than what you ever, ever can imagine. Because that's what the law of increase says. That's what he does. 
God looks at the heart. He looks at why I do what I do more than the quantity of what I give. And here's an example and how this works out. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, we see this example of Jesus, Jesus sitting at the temple watching people give into the offering plate. Now it's kind of maybe strange for you to think that Jesus would be watching, but I think he gains valuable lessons in a person's heart by watching why and what we do. Let's read this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now to properly understand the setting here, in the day then, they didn't have paper dollars or checks or credit cards. They had coins. And the coins were stamped with, you know, Caesar's name and whatever image on it and so forth. And that was the value. So when they came into the temple, they had clay pots or maybe metal pots. And they would throw in the coins and you could hear the coins, right? It made a lot of noise. And so a, a rich person would go in with their bag of coins and they would pour the bag in. It was make all kinds of noise. They could, oh man, look how much money that guy gave because they could hear the noise. And so Jesus is watching this, and he watches this little lady going up there, and he knows. She goes up there with her mites, two cents, and she drops them, and he goes, tinkle, tinkle. Makes hardly no, any noise at all. And Jesus says to his disciples, hey, did you hear that? Did you hear how much she gave? And they're looking at him thinking, well, Jesus, what do you mean? Because other people made a lot of noise when they gave. And he said, no, no, you're missing the point, guys. She didn't have anything. It's not how much, it's what her heart was. She was giving all that she had. And in that, my reward system, my laws of increase say that she gave more than all the others gave because her heart was to give. Man, that gives me hope because I don't have a lot. Do you have a lot? If it was only the rich people that could get a lot and us poor people couldn't give a lot or get a lot in return, it'd be hopeless, wouldn't it? But when God sees your heart and he sees you write that tithe check or he sees you write that over and above tithe check, as he sees you putting in by faith, believing to say, no, Lord, Lord, I know that my riches don't come from my job anyways. My riches come from you and I'm going to give back to you, and I'm going to bless my church or this missionary or this special project, whatever it is, over and above. You put that in, and the Lord says, ah, I see that. You cannot give in secret that God does not see. It is a blessing. It is a promise to you that he will now take that whatever you put in, and he will increase it according to the like kind that you gave. Amen. There's a good promise there. There's hope there for us. So it doesn't make any difference how much you give. It's how you give it. And do you give it consistently? That's next week's 
sermon is the interval. Do you give consistently? We'll talk about that next week. But let's talk a little now about why does God honor the law of increase? Why? Why is it important? Well, we first of all have, we first of all have to recognize where our sustenance comes from in the first place. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply the increase, your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So there's three things I want to discuss here in regards to this. Number one, first of all, we need to know who is the provider of all blessings. Who provides what we have? Who is our sustainer? We just read, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Well, who is he? And what is he? God supplies the seed to the sower so that he has more seeds to sow. We see this beginning in the very first passage, the very first scripture of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. There was nothing there. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God created the heavens and the earth. What's in the heavens and what's in the earth? Everything. (laughs) Everything. God created everything. Now, if God created everything as the creator, who's the rightful owner? He who creates, by definition, by default, is the owner. Why would the creation be the owner when the creator created it? So God is the owner of all things. Revelations chapter 4, verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will were they created and have their being. So not only does he, did he create them, but he sustains them. They have their being currently, today, in this moment, and in the future. Everything that is created, God sustains it. My daughter and her son and her husband, Jenna and Josiah, as you know, we've been talking about it, they're, going, they're moving to Dubai. And uh, when we found this out, um, after the shock <laughs> of our daughter going to the Middle East, we said, well, we better do a little research. So um, I did a little research on Dubai. Dubai is an amazing city. It's an, amaz- it's an amazing engineering marvel that in this Desert. I'm talking desert. This is sand-blowing, hard, harsh desert. They created a thriving city. And it's amazing how they did it. They had to drill down through hundreds of feet of sand to get to the bedrock. And then they had to um, build huge columns of, of concrete for these large buildings. The tallest building in the world there is there. It's a half a mile high. It's a half a mile high, sitting on sand, all right? Not only that, but it, it gets to 120 degrees in the summertime and hotter. 
So it's a very hostile environment. But they have figured out a way through the water system there. They desalinate a lot of water from the Persian Gulf, but there's also an underlying uh, bedrock of water or water under the bedrock there that they've been able to capture. But they use the water to cool the buildings. They use the water. and all, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. But the problem there is that it's not sustainable on its own. If they had a major power failure there, the city would go back to dust in a matter of probably weeks, years, I don't know. But if they can't, they, they can't sustain, it's not sustainable. It's not natural. Here, you look at the green grass, you look at what we have out here, and it sustains itself by, the, by God sustaining it through the rains and the, and the weather. It's sustainable on its own. But that city is like many people's lives. They build it up artificially. And then they have to work so hard to sustain it. It's kind of scary, actually, when you think about it. But it's an interesting analogy. But God sustains his creation. So God is the owner. And then he has some, some things he wants us to do with it. Scripture says that he gives us an increase for a reason. All right? Why does he give us an increase for the reason? Scripture says you will be enriched in every way so that you can give generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God, so that we as planters may be enriched in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion, resulting in me getting all the glory. Because I want people to think how good I am. Look at how generous I am, so give me the glory. No, that's not what the Bible says at all. It says that God gives us, he enriches us in every way so that we can be generous on, on every occasion, resulting in thanksgiving to God, recognizing that he is the owner, he is the provider. And from that, he then gives us an increase so that I can bless other people. This is really kind of cool because, you see, we are created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. Can you only imagine the joy that God must feel when he sees us here as his creation, enjoying what he's blessed us with? I mean, I think that he looks down and smiles when we go outside and we look up at the sun and say, oh, what a beautiful day. The sun feels so good in my face and it's such a beautiful day and, and the wind is so calm and relaxed and I'm just lay down and take a nap under this tree, under the shade, and I'm just going to enjoy nature. I think that gives God great, great pleasure. I think when we enjoy his creation that way, that he's created and he sustains for our benefit, I think he really enjoys that. So on the greater scale of things, God gives us all these things so that we can enjoy those things. And I think he gets, he gets pleasure from that. So now as an image bearer, we can do likewise, but on a much smaller scale. Because as I am generous, as God gives me my, the blessings that I have, and as I invest them, and as I reap the benefits of those, when I'm generous with those things, I can then can sit back and enjoy that too. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I think you are very much like me. It's fun to watch somebody open up a gift that you give to them. It's fun to watch children have the excitement of Christmas morning as they tear up on those gifts and they see that little doll or that train or whatever it is that they want and that level of excitement. And, and I know that's a very small-scaled example, but at the same time, it gives us the ability to understand how God thinks because I think God also enjoys 
us being blessed. And when we can, when we can um, extend the same blessing or a similar blessing to others, I think that also makes God happy. And I think he, he, I think he likes to see us being generous with his blessings. See, it wouldn't seem right, and it wouldn't be right, and it's not right when I'm selfish with God's blessings. When I know that the increase isn't my doing anyways, and I reap it, and I have a lot of money in my pocket, and I'm not willing to share it with anybody because I'm afraid that if I share it with somebody, I'm not going to have enough. First of all, that tells God, and it tells me that I don't trust him because I don't trust him to be able to meet my needs in the future because so, I'm holding it all so tightly in my hands. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. That does not please the Lord. And it's not a proof that we really trust who he is. So that when I am generous on all occasions so that I can give thanks to the Lord, that, that blesses him so that he then can bless me more because he knows that he can trust me with a little because as he gives me a little more, I'm willing to give it out and share it, and share the blessings. But I know it's difficult sometimes. I know it's difficult sometimes, but I'm just going to encourage you, even in your times of need, to trust God in your giving. And I'm not saying this in any way to increase the pocketbook of the church. Don't get me wrong, please. God's harvest laws are for our benefits. It's for your benefit, so when you give in the offering and you give in your time, can I say time is as valuable or maybe more valuable than the money? When you're able to say, hey, I want to volunteer in the church. I want to volunteer in the nursery. I want to volunteer at Sunday, Sunday school. Or I want to mow the grass or I want to you know, do whatever. When you're willing to volunteer your time, that's actually more valuable than your money because time, once that second's tip by, you never get them back again. You can always make another dollar but time is so valuable. I think God honors a tithe of our time. I think when he sees a person willing to give their time in the service of the kingdom, not just the church kingdom, but the kingdom of God, whatever that looks like, you invest into the kingdom of God, he looks at that and says, ah, I'm going to increase his time. I'm going to increase his productivity in the time that he's investing. It's a good word. The third thing I want to mention to you is that God doesn't need what I have. He doesn't need what you have. No matter how much you have or how much I have, God really doesn't need it. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So when we talk about giving and we talk about of your time and your resources, it's not, like I said before, God is not waiting for Center Point Assembly to throw our check to heaven so that he can operate the lights for next week in heaven. The sun is not waiting on our deposit so that it has more energy to give. That God does not need anything that we have, but it's for our benefit when we are willing and able to give everything. God doesn't need it. The only way, and here's the thing, the only way I can get what he has for me first 
is to give him what I have in exchange. That's what we said in the praise and at our prayer time. Submission. Submit yourselves then unto God. Submit first unto God. Resist the devil second. And third, he will flee. But if I get it backwards, if I start resisting the devil before I've submitted to God, the devil has a heyday. The devil will beat me up. He'll, he will eat me up because it, I can't resist the devil in my own power. I resist the devil only as I submit unto God and God's power then endues me and empowers me through the power of his Holy Spirit. Then can I resist the devil. Well, it's the same thing with the laws of the harvest. The only way I can get what God has for me is if I submit what I have first to him and then he says, ah, I see it, I'll increase it. Then I'll increase it. God's blessings, can I say this without misunderstanding anybody or confusing anybody? Let me say it this way. God's love is unconditional. No matter what you do, no matter how far you run, God loves you. He loves you. But let me say this, but his blessings are conditional. The Bible says throughout, if you do this, I will do that. If you honor me, if you love me, then I will do this. His, we're not talking love. Don't confuse love and blessings. The, the, the world will do that all the time. They'll say, oh, God loves me so much that he will bless me. That's not true. He blesses those that honor him. He blesses those that submit to him first. He blesses those that are obedient. The Bible says, if you love me, what's, what's Jesus say? Finish it with me. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. I will bless you then. I will return. I will bring a law of increase based upon your willingness and your obedience and your action. That's not a hard word, folks. And that's not, that's not something we should be afraid of. It's something we should look at that and say, yes, God, thank you for loving me. And because you love me so much, I'm going to be a big mirror and I'm going to reflect my love back to you and I'm going to prove it to you by obeying you. I'm going to prove it to you by doing what you're asking me to do. Then the Lord can bless you. Then he can give great, great rewards. The only way I can get what he has for me is first for me to give to him what I have. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 25. Then Jesus said, then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Man, that word daily is the biggest word there. If I could take up my cross one time in my life and never have to worry about it again, it'd be so much easier. <laughs> But I have to take up my cross daily. That means every day I wake up and say, Lord, what do you have for me today to do? What is your goal? What is your purpose for me today? I die to myself daily. For whoever wants, verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? The laws of the harvest. Right here, it's very clear that God has a plan. And as I am willing to submit unto his plan of the laws of the harvest, my life will be blessed. Not just in this life, but more importantly, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It just goes on and on.
Now, it's interesting that the law of increase is at work even in sin. The law of increase is at work even in sin. This is how, this is how permanent, this is how um, ever invasive this law is. See, Adam sowed to the flesh and he reaped death. Jesus sowed to the spirit and he reaped life multiple times over. Let me look at that again. Jesus invested himself. So the words, you can fill in the words. Jesus invested himself as the only way to reap us into eternal life. See, back in the garden, Adam and Eve bought into the lie of the serpent and they sowed to the flesh by eating that fruit and when they did that, death came in not only to them, but to all mankind. So they, they invested, they sowed to the flesh one time, and many people, I mean, everyone after them died. One thing, one wrong act, one sown seed in the wrong direction, and it changed the whole course of human history. That's why we have sickness and death and wars and famines and bugs and mosquitoes and all those bad things. Because sin came into the world through one man's action and they sowed it and now we're reaping it. Whereas now Jesus comes in and Jesus sows to the Spirit and as he sowed to the Spirit, he reaped life multiple times over. Because now through the blood of Christ... We have forgiveness of our sins and Jesus was the firstborn of that because when he died and was resurrected, he is the firstborn of those that have eternal life through his purpose, through his willingness to invest himself. If Jesus wouldn't have given us his best, meaning if he wouldn't have given us a perfect life willing and cheerfully, then there would be no eternal harvest. Jesus reversed the curse. Romans chapter 5. This is it. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned because of Adam's sin. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. You see the law of increase there? You see the pattern there? That's important for us today. And it's now our choice. Adam sowed to the flesh and reaped death. Jesus sowed to the spirit and reaped life multiple times over. Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did not enjoy being planted. Jesus did not enjoy the sowing process in his life. I will tell you that. Why would he? Who would enjoy a flogging? Who would enjoy a beating? Who would enjoy a crown of thorns pressed on his head? Who would enjoy nails being pierced through his wrist and to his feet and being hung on a cross to die? Who would enjoy that? 
but yet for the joy set before him. Who is that? That's you and I. The joy set before him was that he saw the harvest. He saw the harvest of many souls saved because of what he would endure. Likewise for us, maybe our giving is a sacrifice. Maybe your giving of your time is a sacrifice. Not nearly the sacrifice that Christ gave. Maybe your giving of your checkbook is a sacrifice because maybe you have to do without here over here to do this. It's a sacrifice. You don't enjoy it maybe at the time. But for the joy set before him and the joy set before you and I because we will be with him forever if we sacrifice ourselves, he will give us great rewards in heaven forever and ever and ever. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful pattern. It's a beautiful thing this morning. Jackie, would you come please? Jesus' perfect sacrifice, his sowing perfectly. And, you know, he did it with joy. Even though he, it was painful for him. When we, read, when we read earlier that God loves a cheerful giver, the terms, though different in Hebrew, are very similar. In the passage about us giving, it means without grudging or without any second thoughts. When I give with joy, it's not a grudgingly giving thing. It is a joyful thing. The term joy that for Jesus here in this Romans chapter or Hebrews chapter 12 the term for joy for Jesus giving up his life for us is is a rejoicing a happiness a gladness he said he was overjoyed the only way Jesus could go through such a horrific sacrifice for us is because he was overjoyed with the increase that he saw was going to happen as a result that should give something to me it should give me a promise to hold on to as well So the questions that I have for us this morning is where are we on this continuum of increase? Where are we in this principle of of investment? Are we willing to invest to gain more? Or are we comfortable with the little bit that we have? How much blessing do you want in your life? How much? You see, here's the caution. If I say that I'm comfortable with the blessing that I have, I think we have to recognize the fact that we may be going the wrong direction. If I'm not growing, I'm probably dying. So if I'm comfortable, if I get myself in a comfortable state and say, no, no, I'm comfortable, I I got money, my house is good, I'm I'm good, and I'm comfortable there, uh, chances are you're going to lose your investment. Same thing with your spiritual life. No, God, I I have enough of you. I I don't need any more. I don't want any increase of spiritual blessing in my life. Can I just tell you that you're on a real serious slide, potentially, of of backsliding? We don't use that word very often, do we, anymore? How many times have you heard the word backsliding? But the fact of the matter is we can. If you're not progressing forward, you're probably, maybe for a moment, staying idle, It's like throwing a ball in the air, okay? It gets to a point where it stops and it hovers there for a few seconds, but gravity does its work and it comes back down. Same thing spiritually. If we're not climbing up, if we're not dying to ourselves, if we're not daily taking up our cross, if we're saying, no, Lord, I'm comfortable where I'm at right now. Don't, don't, I don't want any more. You might stay there for a minute, but it won't be long and you're going to be coming down. What do you want? Jesus is coming back for those that are waiting and looking for him. 
He's coming back for those that are working for him. He's coming back for those that are on fire for him. He's coming back for those that are church that's without spot or wrinkle. He's not coming back for the person on the way down. He's coming back for the person looking up. If my eyes are on Christ, if my eyes are focused on heaven, then my, my track is upwards. But as, as, I, as soon as I start that downward slide, my eyes are looking on the earth. And my eyes are looking through all the things that I have right here that I don't really want to give up. I, these things are too important to me down here. And my eyes are focused down. And when Christ comes back or I die and my eyes are focused down, I'm telling you, that's not a good place. You don't preach this very much anymore. This is not heard too much because people want to say, oh, I'm good. I- I'm saved once. Yeah, but you have to live it every day, folks. Daily, we have to continue to put ourselves on the line for Christ. I've got to continue to increase daily. So where are we this morning? As we sing the song that Jackie and Larry are playing, I just want to take the moment to encourage us to examine our hearts, examine your life. Where are we this morning? Are we truly increasing? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Jesus, for your words. I thank you for your encouragement. I thank you for your promises. I thank you, Lord, that these things are true and they are without fault and they will happen just as you say they will happen. This is true foundational teaching. This is exactly what the Word says. So, Father, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into our life now and do a work of conviction a work of restoration, a work of reconciliation. Lord, as I lay my life before you today, as I totally submit to you today and everyone in this room, this morning, if you need help in this area, if you need, help, if you need us to help you pray in this way, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to just to make it known. Come up and we'll pray with you. This is a serious message. This is a serious message of increase. Increase of life or increase of death. Your choice. Father, we just give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Jackie. All to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust
Father, now as we make that prayer, that song our prayer today, I pray, Lord, that we will remember this sermon tomorrow morning and Wednesday and Thursday. And Lord, I pray that you would just bring reminders along our way this week that we would constantly be aware of what we're sowing and what we're reaping. Lord, I pray, God, that our hearts and lives would totally be dependent upon you. Help us truly to surrender, not just in this moment, but for every moment, that we would daily, that we would live through the dailiness of life in an attitude of surrender and submission, knowing, God, that you have everything in store for us that is good for us, nothing to harm us, but all to bless us as we are solely and wholly giving ourselves to you. So I pray this, and I pray blessing on us this morning. I pray blessing on this church and on this community that does that. And I pray your Holy Spirit's conviction on us throughout this time as well. We want all that you have for us, everything that you have. We want more, more of you, Jesus, more of you, Holy Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name.